So hello, welcome back to the Talk of Fame podcast with Kai Mancini and join us for this episode of the podcast is Jonathan, Jonathan Nessa Brooks, who is the vice president and producer of the Emitha Studios, director and performer who has worked on the new opera, Anna Christie Broadway Records, Six on the Billboard Classical with Roberto on the late Job Masaroff and 12-time legendary producer Thomas Z. Shepard. And his debut album, These Models of Four, Grammy-winning mixer Dave Rittis, and work with jazz singer J- Jeremy Kugel, I think that's how you say it, and others. And like these Sicarell, are- yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm so bad at names. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm getting this wrong or not. But um, thank you so much for joining the podcast, Sean. It's, been so- it's an honor to talk with you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I was just saying to you before we started this that I think it's so phenomenal that, that this is something that you've built you know, over time. And you said it was it was born out of the pandemic and it was a chance to do something interesting. And and um, I, kudos to you for there's New York. You can hear in the background. Go kudos ahead. to you for um, for doing this podcast. And thanks for having me on. Of course. Thanks so much for that. And like, I know we were talking about this before, but like, I know you did doing this since you're like seven years old and stuff. But like, why do you pursue like songwriting and things you do? I know you started like right under around seven years old. Yeah, I mean, I started very young. I was seven when I started taking voice lessons and I was in a, a boys choir. So I was studying classical voice, um, but I was also doing musical theater. And it was just, I was like a crazy redhead with a lot of energy and, <laughs> and I was extroverted and my parents wanted to encourage me to be active and to do something that I enjoyed. So it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't see a trajectory of this is going to be my job or this is going to be what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It was just something that I really enjoyed. Um, and so I kind of not fell into it, but I really, yeah, I just, it was just something that I enjoyed. And, and so kind of over time that progressed to being something that I do every single day. Um, you know, I started as a singer as, as, um, many people know me as, as an opera singer and, you know, I, I, studied that and I moved here to New York to go to Juilliard. And so that was sort of my trajectory for a long time was I'm going to be a singer and, and, and that's, that's the path. And, you know, in the last many number of years, I've been slowly making the transition to being kind of more behind the camera, behind the microphone as it will. Um, and that's been equally, if not more rewarding, you know, so yeah, I just love the creative process. You know, mm-hmm. I played with Lego as a kid and I'm just like a big kid playing with Lego, like musical yeah. Lego kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm the same way I'm just like always a creative kid always like moving around and always doing yeah. something entertainment related like everything that's like music or acting or something I'm like into like I'm like an entertainment movie music nerd I would call it yeah and I think nerds are the coolest people I was a nerd oh. I would say I'm a recovering nerd and uh but I hope I never recover I think nerdy people are the coolest people, you know, nerds get made fun of, but honestly, it's because others are jealous of their nerdiness and their passion for what they love to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And so don't ever lose the nerdiness because that's going to make you very successful. And that's, you know, people are going to kind of pound a pound on your door wanting to be a part of what you're doing, especially if you're passionate about it. So yes. that's my advice. <laughs> that's so true. And like, are you, do you still live in New York or did you move? I do. I do. That's the, the, the fire trucks and the ambulances you will hear periodically. I do. I've lived in New York now for 15 years and um, I left for the pandemic uh, for a good chunk of that. But um, 
But yeah, still still here in this very overpriced city. <laughs> you live like in downtown Manhattan or do you live up? No, I'm not. I'm uptown. I'm uptown. I'm in an area called Washington Heights, which is along the Hudson River, but it's um, more more north uh, north on the island. But um, you get a lot more space and I'm able to have a, a dedicated studio space. So I converted one of the bedrooms into a full production studio where I mix all my all my records and work on my projects. Yeah, like I go to like New York often. I go there like for events and stuff all the way down there. And plus, like I live like two hours away from the city, so I was like, I have to yeah. ask them about New York because like New York is one of my favorite cities. Not only probably yeah. my favorite city of all time. Yeah, lots of yeah. Well, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot. There's there's a lot happening here, and it's it's um it's it 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 definitely motivates me. You know, when you're around other people um that are passionate about something and whatever that may be you're you're surrounded by that kind of energy in a city like new york and um it's it's such a creative hub i think i think people come here because they want to they want to be influenced by that so mm -hmm. yeah. like what is like your favorite place in new york city like do you have a favorite like place Ooh. to go to museum or anything i mean it depends i mean there's some so many great restaurants and museums and music festivals i mean thing that I love about New York is at any given moment, there's 30, 40, 50 different things happening, whether that's museum or gallery or art shows or live performances or some little black box theater in the middle of nowhere, Lower East Side comedy show or whatever. Um, and nowhere else on earth do I feel like you have that kind of environment, um, that there's always a pulse, there's always something going on. So it's hard for me to pick just one. I mean, Tonight I'm going to see a friend at Carnegie Hall perform, and you know, last night I was at at some other kind of dive bar thing, which is super fun. And then you know, it's just great brunch places. I mean, just like everything, you know, it's it's sort of the the city that it is the city that doesn't sleep. So yeah, I don't know. Are you are, are you more of a museum buff or a music music festival buff? What's what's sort of your favorite part of the city? Ooh, I love the Broadway shows. I'm a big, I love Broadway shows. Um, I'm basically nice. into anything, museums. Um, I'm a big foodie person. I love food. So there's this place where I went to Garden Theater um, right mm -hmm. off of Times Square that I went to to see uh, The Music Man a million times. And right, like, nice. this one, there's two streets down me. My father would go to is a uh, cheesecake place. I forget what it's called. So okay. I see. But me and him would go there every time because it's my favorite restaurant that I would go to is the cheesecake because this cheesecake is so good that I'm like I have to go every time. <laughs> hey, you got your so, favorite. <laughs> yeah, like I haven't been there the last like two or three times I went there since it was kind of like quick trips. But next time, like I'm like I have to go to get the cheesecake. Yes. But I wish Amazing. they had those type of cheesecakes here in PA because they're fantastic. Amazing! I'll have to check it out. But like. With your work and stuff, you've gotten three million views or more with a live variety of content from short film, documentary, music videos, commercial content, much more. And what projects do you kind of prefer to work on? Like music, behind the scenes, like which one do you prefer to work on? Yeah, I mean, you know, I call myself a multi-hyphenate, which is a term that basically um, is somebody who... Uh, who is is actively involved in many different disciplines, but at mm -hmm. a high, high level, you know, and before I used to think, you know, the 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 saying, um, jack of all trades, master of none, you know, and sort of there's this pressure, I think, and it used to be it's changing where you're supposed to do one thing and do that your whole life. Like our, my parents had one job at one company their whole lives, right? 
-hmm. It's so different now. And we are in a world where you pick up a phone and this is a supercomputer, you know, this is a supercomputer. We can access information, billions and billions of articles and photos and content at, at the, at, you know, while we're walking down the street. And so I think because we're exposed to so many different things, I think for certain people and for me included, um, I, I always want variety in what I do. So, you know, I mentioned I had quite a career as a singer, um, but I was always enjoying the, the creative process, you know, so I don't think I necessarily love one over the other. I think they all have elements of them that I enjoy. Well, I will say producing is sort of the perfect marriage of all of my loves. It includes the creative process. It includes organization. I actually like organizing. I, I really enjoy that. It includes planning and dreaming up an idea. There's there's a performance element to it. There's, there's a team building, you know. Um, so it, it, it just encompasses so many of those things that as a performer, it's just sort of one thing that you do. You just go on stage, you're a cog in a machine to some extent. You're the mm-hmm. performer. That's it. You go home. Um, and now I'm able to build the machine, you know, mm-hmm. um, and be part of that. So uh, that's why I love producing so much, because it really encompasses so many different skill sets. I mean, you're a producer. You're producing this podcast. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many different elements to doing that from booking your guests to making the appointments, to having the interview, to writing the, the questions, to the editing process, to the distribution. I mean, there's a lot that goes into, you know, any any sort of creative endeavor. So, yeah, I guess the long answer to your question is I really, I really am doing what I love. And it took me a long time to get there, a lot of trial and error. But, you know, I always say you got to try a lot of things and eventually you'll figure out what your path is meant to be. Mm-hmm. Like, like, what. I like what you said because like with like not everything is gonna work out whatever you think it is. Like when you're trying no. to do this one percent everything, you're like, oh, I'm gonna be good at this, but then it doesn't turn out a couple months later. It's right. just like growing up as a kid, I didn't know what I wanted to be at all. Like, I didn't know mm-hmm. I I would I was the type of person I would quit things easily. Like mm-hmm. either I just hated it or I didn't want to do it, or I was just lazy to do it or something. Mm-hmm. So because I was like I just didn't like doing things when I was a little kid, but like with the experience and with trying to do things like that's actually the best part because like as long as you're trying it you do not know if you're gonna like it until you, you at least try it. like with this podcast mm-hmm. for example I thought this were the last few episodes like I said a million times before but then two years later I'm still going on with this so this is like you always find your passions and whenever you think like oh it's gonna end like it matters mm-hmm. that you know absolutely and you know there's a lot to be said for perseverance and that's clearly something that you have and i think uh a lot of people struggle with not feeling in you know feeling insufficient or or mm-hmm. or feeling like why should i even start like i'm not i'm not as good as so and so or why do i deserve to be producing this project when there's a million other producers with way more experience than i do right we have this this mm-hmm. thing called imposter syndrome right where we think yeah. like well i'm an imposter i don't belong here you belong here like anybody else steven spielberg was once an imposter right he was some young young kid with a camera and look what happened to him you know so it's about perseverance creativity the willingness to keep trying despite failure or to push through failure is is what results in the greatest successes you know i some of my biggest project and i know you know you wanted to talk a little bit about the artist for the arts project with the nea i mean that 
was a charity single. It came out of, it was 20, 2017, 2018. They had just announced they were going to cut funding to the National Endowment for the Arts. And I was emboldened. I was so this is this is crazy. You know, this is this organization is, is such a, an integral part of funding arts in in the US. And so I started a petition on change.org. It kind of went viral. I got about 50,000 signatures and I said, OK, well, what can I do next? You know, how can I actually do something beyond getting a bunch of signatures? And I had this idea to gather together friends and, and colleagues and contacts to to do the charity single and the music video. And so but, you know, even to the last, like within a week of that, I had, I was in debt $18,000. I mean, I oh, was putting wow. stuff on a credit card and I was a, I was not, I was a young kid in New York. And I didn't, you know, and I didn't know where I was going to get the money. And it was pushing, you know, and so many people told me, you're never going to raise the money. This is, this is crazy. You should just stop now. Like, don't spend this money. It's not going to work. And I, I ignored them and I kept pushing because my experience has always been when people tell me it's not possible it usually means I'm on the right path because oh, yeah. if I push that much harder through that, it's the haters and the, and those that don't believe in you that are more than likely just trying to shut you down because maybe mm. they're jealous of you. And yeah. so I pushed through and I was able to find a, a donor and we, you know, we got the funds and we, we did the thing and it was like a huge that, you know, it's interesting you ask about that. That was my first official producing gig. Oh, really? I had never really produced anything of note like that. I mean, I had released my debut album and I was definitely a part of that producing, but a big project with mega stars like that. No, I had never produced at that level. And so oh. how, how else are you going to learn how to produce unless you produce? I know. So I just right? did it. It's just like, you, you know? don't know how to do it until you actually do it. Exactly. So, so there you go. That, that was kind of my, that's, um, it's kind of, kind of something that I've learned over the years. And so, um, when people tell me it's not possible, I'm like, oh, great. I'm on the right path. That means it is going to mm -hmm. happen because now they told me it's not going to happen. So now I have to show you that it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, just prove them wrong. They'd be like, oh, it sucks to be you, sucker. Exactly. Like, this happened to me a couple months ago. They told me I couldn't do so. Exactly. Just prove them wrong. Exactly. But like, as you talk about artists for the arts, like how has it, like, how do you guys kind of help NEA? Like, where are some of these guys kind of Yeah, so, I mean, that 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 was an, uh, a project that was sort of a singular project, um, uh, which which came, you know, we came together in, in 2018 to do that. The the Americans for the Arts um, was the organization that, that we were funding for. Because you can't actually fund directly for the National Endowment for the Arts. They don't accept private donations. So we teamed up with artists uh our, our our single was through a group called artists for the arts but we teamed up with americans for the arts which is a nonprofit that funds for arts education and arts in the country and they're one of the largest in the country so we teamed up with them um and that was just you know we just i mean i literally i remember i got on twitter and i didn't know who was going to release it and i just sent a tweet to the ceo of broadway records and i said hey I want to do this crazy thing. I have this crazy idea. And he took a meeting with me and, you know, he opened up his Rolodex of contacts and we were able to pull in some phenomenal people to be a part of it. So yeah, that, that's what happened there. And it, it, uh, it was a very, very unexpected uh, turn of events, but you know, we, we were able, I think we helped in, in, in our small way because ultimately the national endowment for the arts did receive its funding and then some, so we were part of that chorus of noise that was saying, 
we need to save this. Like we need, we need, the funding needs to continue and here's why. And so I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of the, the group of people that came together to do it, you know, mm-hmm. gave them their time and, and talents. Yeah, there are some crazy people on that list. Like I, yeah. I looked at it earlier and I was like, oh my God, there's so many crazy people that I couldn't imagine how much, it, like you, you probably thought it was like pretty insane that the pretty much everyone that was involved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we actually had a casting director who came on board to help um, put together the cast, and we reached out. We reached out to so many people, and we got a lot of no's, or, or a lot of people's schedules didn't line up. You know, but you know, we we had the ability through this casting director to reach out to you know um, the Sarah Baralises and the Josh Grobins of the world. You know, um, and they weren't available, but we got some phenomenally talented people. On there, you know, Chris Mann, Annie Golden, um, uh, lots of Broadway stars, Ashley Brown, um, cast of Hamilton. Um, yeah, so like just just a really interesting cross section of people. And you know, it's crazy. It's six years ago now. It seems like a lifetime ago. So much has happened since then. But it was it was a pivotal project for me. Um, and so yeah, thanks for thanks for asking about it. Absolutely. And like with all the experience like you've gotten over the last couple of years since like you first started out, like why do you think experience is important, especially in this like type of industry? Why do you think it's kind of important to get like roles and all these things? Oh, you mean why? Sorry, the question is why do you think experience matters? Yeah. You know, experience experiences, I think, hold equal, if not more value than education alone. Oh, yeah. I think we're so focused on, you know, I got to get a college degree. You know, this is the path that I'm supposed to be on. And granted, I have two degrees, you know. Uh, however, I have learned through experience that that is not a requirement. Yeah. And, and, and it is so expensive. And so many, you know, so many young kids are in debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars from going to college. Oh, there goes my light. And um, they they may have benefited way more from simply um, doing the thing, you know, Um, simply trying it and making a mistake and learning from it. So I think experience is um, the biggest learning, is the most powerful uh, learning tool that we have. And, um, you know, experience comes from just doing, just do it. You know, Nike got it right. Just do it see what happens mm-hmm. like with that like being said like with like obviously with doing getting experience done like of course college is important to go to not like college is not a requirement like I know some people think it might be like a requirement to get education but it's not like a like a requirement to do it's not like going to high school and all that stuff that stuff is different than college but like with the more experience is more important than going to college like i probably with myself doing now i probably learned like i more things right now than probably why i learned college in three years from now two years from now because i'm a sophomore in high school and i have two years of high school so like i don't i'm not sure if i'm like once i go to college in two years wherever i end up going i probably think myself like oh i probably know all these things they're teaching me that i probably already know from the experience like sometimes you're like is college sometimes even worth it with all the experience I'm getting, you know? Yeah, I think it's such a personal, it's such a personal decision, you know? And um, I think, I think what's important is to look at, to weigh all the options. And I think, oh, 
for anybody who's looking at college, there are certain careers that a degree is necessary. If you want to be an astrophysicist or a rocket engineer or a mathematician or a brain surgeon, you do need college. You do need a high level of training in those skills. But there are also so many trades. You could go to trade school and be a carpenter or a plumber or a house builder or any of these things, which are well-paid, hands-on jobs that, that don't require a college education. And so I, I think, you know, college, like, like medicine, unfortunately, in this country is a profit-based industry. You know, yeah. it's about making money, which is, which is sad that education in America is about profit because it yeah. is many of these private universities are, are just that they're private, they're businesses. And so yeah. I think experience is uh, really, really valuable. And so I think uh, it, it is it's such a personal decision and I'm not going to tell somebody what they should or shouldn't do. I just know that that for me, doing the thing has been way more valuable than learning how to do the thing. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah, so. yeah, you're exactly right. And like in during the college years, you graduated from Juilliard School in which you were hailed by the New York Times as a robust Breton with your experience above and behind the, behind the scenes. Like, how did Juilliard kind of teach you about your craft and how the industry kind of works itself? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, Juilliard was a really interesting experience in that you, you you had a lot of individuals who were sort of top of their class from all over the world. And all of a sudden, the best of the best are all now in the same room. And so now everybody's ego gets cut down a little bit. It's like you're no longer the best at your school because now you're with all these other bests. And so very quickly it taught it taught me um you know, I like to think I've always been humble, but it certainly taught me to be humble about where I was at and knowing that there's plenty of very talented people in the world. Um, and for me, it was exposure. It was exposure to these other talented artists. It was coaches. It was teachers. It was the network. And that's what I say. What is good about a school? You know, the right school can have a network. You're not going to meet those people if you don't go to college. Now, there are other ways to network. But college and Juilliard specifically opened up this network of, of, of arts professionals to me that I would never have otherwise had the chance to work with and had the chance to meet. Mm -hmm. Like that's the best part about like, college is that like you will meet people from different states and from all around the world, even though yeah. like college might seem like a kind of like a bus, like with like learning every single day, hours, classes. I know like some people do not like school or going to wake up early and all that stuff. I hate, I hate that doing, I hate waking up too early because I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm a morning <laughs> person, but I'm also a night person depending on the day. But like, why did, like, why was like Juilliard kind of like a fit for you to go to school like there instead of the other kind of performing arts type of school? What you mean? Why did I choose Juilliard? Yeah. I, I, you know, it was, it was a long shot. I didn't know. I didn't think I would get in. I mean, it was Juilliard. I thought I'd, I'm not going to get into Juilliard, but I tried, you know, we've been talking about if you don't try, you don't know. And mm -hmm. so I auditioned and I happened, I happened to get in and, um, you know, it was, it was one of those opportunities that I felt was really important to, to take advantage of, you know, and I'm glad, I'm glad that I did. Would I have gone to another great school if Juilliard hadn't said yes? Absolutely. You know, um, but um, it was in the city. It was in New York. It was it was exciting. It was sort of 
I guess an Ivy League of music schools, call it that. So it certainly has the name has helped and it's opened a lot of doors. Um, but yeah, it's just one of many great schools in the in the mm -hmm. country. Yeah, it's like Juilliard is one of the best schools in terms of like performing arts, and especially in New York yeah. City. Like, what who wouldn't consider going to New York City? Like, it's amazing. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's a a tough city. It's oh, a yeah. tough city to survive in. And the first few, first few years can be really tough in a city like New York, but you know, you're surrounded by so much passion and, and dedication to craft, whether that's in fashion or music or art or what have you, or business, that um, it really encourages you a lot to, to push yourself. Mm -hmm. Like that's something like people like do when in cities that like you'll like meet people that make you push yourself when you don't want to and help you grow Absolutely. especially in a city like new york city or los angeles or some big cities for like the entertainment it's just like you'll find tons of people that will push you or are better than you than like absolutely like, more experience than you got in your maybe 10 years of athlete experience absolutely yeah but like if you could tell yourself one thing when starting out what would it be um you mean a younger version of me? What would I say to myself? Um, I would say, don't be afraid to fail because you will fail and you'll fail over and over again. Mm -hmm. And care, but don't care. And what I mean by that is you do you, right? You know the saying, mm -hmm. it's like you do you. Do what you want to do. Do it passionately. Do it with professionalism. Do it with you know passion, professionalism. Do the work, do the research. And forget the haters. And I know it's hard, it's hard to live that. It's, it's easy for me to give that advice. But when you're in it, it's hard to take that advice and go, because we all care what people think. I mean, Instagram mm -hmm. is the definition of, oops, there goes my lights again. I'm just failing on my production today. Um, but like, you know, essentially it's all about, like I've got these fancy lights here, my little Ooh. portable lights. But where was I? But I was just saying, you know, it's all about, if you don't try, you won't know. And so uh, people will, people will, um, tell you it's not possible and you just you just persevere and so my advice would be know that you will fail and embrace the failure as part of the process um mm. and when you don't care so much about what people think like genuinely in your in your soul and your in your core um you have so much power you really do because mm. you don't you don't care you really don't and that's yeah, hard really a younger don't. version of myself wouldn't have believed that you know in high school you think your whole world is high school it's like if i'm not the the football star and and the cheerleader and i don't you know i'm not everybody's favorite person i can't tell you the number of people who peak they peak in high school and then they don't really go anywhere after that so oh, yeah. i was awkward in high school i was a nerdy music kid you know i had a lot of friends but i was just an awkward kid and i just but i loved what i did i loved my music and i loved creating and and i found my community i found my tribe Mm -hmm. and so, that's the most important thing though is like you yeah. find your tribe and you find your friends it's supposed to be the rest of your life like that's the most important thing as long as you have your support and find the right friends that's the most Absolutely. important thing there's always somebody out there that loves what you love right mm -hmm. and is as passionate about what you're passionate about right. and those people are out there and you will find those people especially with this thing i mean you can find them anywhere Mm -hmm. You found me for your podcast just by being on Instagram, tool. you know? <laughs> yeah, social media is such a big tool. If it's social media wasn't a thing, we probably wouldn't be talking right now. Exactly. So it's an, it's another opportunity to meet, meet people and, and connect.
Mm-hmm. And like recently, you came out with a single called "Songs of Ireland." Is this song about Ireland? It's actually a mashup. It's a mashup of 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 two popular Irish songs. Um, obviously, "Danny Boy," which everybody knows, and um, and another. And so I I I had an arranger do a mashup, sort of a medley of those two songs. And it was something that I, I mean, I hadn't released music in a long time and it was time for me to make something for me. You know, I spend so much time mixing records and making things for other people, for our clients through Amitha. And um, and so it was exciting to to put a single together. And I actually have another single coming out in March. There, March, uh, in June, the end of June. So the beginning of June, June 9th, I have a new single coming out. So I'm not Ooh. sure if this show will have aired by then, but. Um, it'll be out on streaming and all of the platforms. So amazing! Can you, like, what can you tell us about that single, though? Well, it was written for me. Yeah, it was written for me. Two songwriters in Nashville wrote the song for me, and it's it's really it's sort of a high energy, um, high energy kind of Josh Grobany kind of vibe. If you think of the song "Brave" by Josh Groban, it's got a similar kind of pulse and energy to that, and it's um. Yeah, it's 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 kind of in that classical crossover realm, and I've been tinkering with the mix for a long time, and um, I'm excited for people to hear it. Mm, I can't wait to like to listen away and make sure to stay tuned for that, people. And that's all I have to say. Make sure to stay tuned for that. But like, <laughs> who are some of your favorite single songwriters that you like to listen to in terms of? Oh man, I, I I've got like, a few. I know there's a million, probably a million of them. I know there's so many great singer songwriters. I will say one of my favorite artists right now, two of my favorite artists, and I went to see them at the Kennedy Center. I hadn't been to a concert in years, but I went to DC. Cody Fry. Ooh. Uh, is an amazing he's he's like a pop singer songwriter but he writes for orchestra check out cody fry so he writes these amazing pop songs but they're for symphony orchestra it's such a cool mashup you know so you've got kind of the rhythmic pulse um of 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 the pop song and then you've got this full orchestra full orchestration around it so that's really really cool um and i i just discovered him through spotify was one of those suggested artists um and so it's it's Cody Fry, and he was. I'm trying to remember. See, now I'm blanking. Um, I'm going to look it up on this device of mine here. Um, but Cody Fry uh, did a concert with um, with one of his, you know, very good collaborator and friends. And you're going to edit this out, probably, right? <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm going to give you the name here. Um, Ben Rector, there it is. Cody Fry and Ben Rector. I saw them at the Kennedy Center, and it was just phenomenal. It was uh, such I'll a cool. I have to check them out now. I, I yeah. like, well, once I said Cody Fry, I was like, oh, like that chicken fried song and like a commercial. <laughs> <laughs> I guess when you said that name, that literally came like in mind, like, oh, cold chicken fry, that song. Yeah. Like, Different. No, that probably. Reason. Yeah. But no, Cody Fry, he's awesome, awesome artist. Him and Ben Rector are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, I like, sometimes I like my 90s, my 90s hits, my 80s oh, or yeah, 90s, 90s running playlist. You know, when I go for a run, a little bit of Whitney Houston, a little bit of, you know, Celine Dion, represent Canada, you know, like, I love a good power ballad. And then other days I'm really into jazz or classical, you know, if I'm on a long drive, I really, I love listening to classical music. I mean, I grew up around that and I studied it for a long time. So I think most people have a pretty eclectic mix in music. Nobody is just a fan of one artist. Oh, yeah. Although the Swifties are pretty obsessed. But I mean, oh, yeah, you know, but they also, you know, they, they like other artists. Most people have have a really mix, a real mix. 
Very few do few of us listen to entire albums. We listen to singles now. It's you know we jump around from artist to artist. So yeah, so there you go. That's a... just like I listen to everything: pop, country, rap, hip hop, everything. I like yeah. even like I'm into like oldies music, like '90s, '80s, like my parents' generation of music. Like it's of really weird because like obviously my parents were about with that music, and obviously now I'm listening to that music. Obviously, right. but now I'm like. I'm like into popping country person. I'm I'm a huge country music person. I love country nice. music. Like whenever I'm in the car or sometimes when I'm driving, I'll pull up my Spotify and just connect it to Bluetooth and just play country music out loud. And my Amazing. dad gets so annoyed because he hates country music. So <laughs> it's still spamming it to, you know, just oh keep gosh. it keep it playing. Love it. Love it. But like the last thing I want to talk with you about, I know you kind of added this a little bit earlier, but like, what is some advice for uh, people in music? Ooh, I mean, I think it's I think it's very similar to any kind of profession or any kind of passion. I think um, music is one of those languages that is universal. You know, oh, yeah. you don't have to speak the language that's being spoken in a song or a lyric. It could be Italian, German, French, Russian, who knows? But you can you can understand the passion, you can understand the message, the emotion behind it. So I think there's a great responsibility as musicians to honor that and to really be authentic in the writing of music and in how you present it. I think it's easy to think of music as a business, which it is for many people. It is a business. I mean, we run a business at Amitha, obviously, but more than that, it is, it is a passion and it is kind of a window to the soul, right? Mm -hmm. A great song will really make you feel something, you know? And I think as human beings, we are, we are desperately looking to feel and to connect especially after COVID. And I think music yeah. is one of the great connectors. Um, and so I, I would say to anybody, you know, any, anybody out there who is interested in music or is a musician or is a creator, I mean, you have such a, a beautiful opportunity here and a privilege to do that. And so, you know, approach it as such and, and know that you can and will have an effect on people in a way that a mathematician or a banker or you know, so many other jobs, they don't have that kind of effect on people. Nothing wrong with those jobs, but they, they, they're not as powerful as the arts. Mm. You know? And I think they're so valuable and we need to protect them because they, yeah, they make that's... the fabric of our society worth being a part of. Yeah, you're right on about that because like, of course, and if they're not in the industry, their job's so important, but obviously if you're like an artist or something like as long as like you're making an impact, I know with music, music is such a big part of people's lives, especially mine during the pandemic. I know like a lot of people kind of lost that social kind of face-to-face -face interaction type of thing. Because mm -hmm. you couldn't leave your house, people were scared. But then like when the pandemic stopped, like people were just so thrilled to leave their houses and actually have a conversation about things instead of yeah. doing it on the screen like we're doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. So no, it's it's a great communication, a, a great tool for communication and a great tool for, for connection. Mm -hmm. True that, and like I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're amazing, and I wish you all the best with everything. And thank you everyone for listening, and I really appreciate everyone listening to this episode. And I hope you guys just tune in for next couple of episodes of the podcast. And thank you so much, Jonathan, for coming on. You are terrific. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet you. 
you too. If you ever need help on anything, feel free to reach out. Great. Great. Thanks. Have a great rest of your day. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye. bye.